Hello, welcome to the Six Sales Podcast. This is Mike Nicholson from Six Sales. Today, I'm going to be speaking to John Kieran, founder and president of System One Group. John, how are you? I am very well, Mike, and I'm enjoying your very bright orange top. You know, very bright. Yes. Yeah. So, so I'm going to ask you um, about System One in a second, and and obviously, uh, creative effectiveness is your bag, amongst other things. So, I'm going to ask you about the orange brand, since you've uh, pointed out my orange brand, um, and and how that that how that fared. But um, just as a traditional, John, if you could just kick us off, maybe with telling us a little bit about System One, please. So, System One. Basically, I suppose we deliver, we measure the magic, marketing magic, and deliver confidence and help for agencies and clients to do famous adverts and innovations. Okay. And then track it at the back end uh, to check that the brand is growing. Excellent. Um, so you've had quite um, an interesting journey in our industry because you've kind of been on most sides of the fence, I would say. Um, and, and, and I think that's really interesting because you don't often see somebody that goes from brand to media agency to the creative side uh, all in one career. So uh, well done, I suppose. Um, but could you maybe talk us through that career and, and what you learn at different stages and how that's helped you in, in the role that you've got today, please? And I was only fired once along the way. Oh, only once? Know, okay. I, as I say to my staff, everyone should be fired at least once you know, yeah. in, their, in their career. But yeah. um, well, I know it's a lot of place to start, but my family were all military, can you believe? Right. And that was the only thing I knew I wasn't going to do. Having been expelled from my first uh, Catholic uh, school for lighting a cigarette off the holy candle, you know, it gives you a flavor. Mischief and playfulness. Distinctive. Well, (laughs) I hadn't got a clue what I was going to do. I was doing a law degree, not to be a lawyer, um, just out of interest. And I spotted this poster and it was a Procter & Gamble marketing workshop. Went along. I'm like, is this a job? I love this. (laughs) Is this a job? (laughs) (laughs) Um, <laughs> so I joined Unilever on their sort of management training course. And that was fantastic. I mean, it was brilliant. Uh, working for Unilever Export that had the whole Unilever portfolio in any country too small to have a Unilever operating company, which at the time was really the Middle East. So mm-hmm. aged, whatever I was, 22, launched Vianetta ice cream into the, into the Middle East, Managing to spell it wrong on 5,000 fridge posters. I got the Arabic right. (laughs) Right. But the English wrong. Anyway, they then sent me out uh, a couple of years later to actually set up their office, Unilever's office in Dubai. And this was 89, 90. I mean, it was not the Dubai that people know now. Yeah. Um, But what an experience. And they must have been desperate. I mean, at the time, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. But 24. (laughs) Anyway, I enjoyed that. Joined, uh, went to uh, be in one of their bigger companies, Alida Gibbs, up in London. And then suddenly the big corporate reality hit me. I mean, I'm not a big corporate kind of guy. And it was, you know, people were great, but I knew that wasn't for me. So I joined Publicis um, and became their planning director. London's youngest ever planning director. By the way, I think I invented that and it just stuck. <laughs> so say things uh, often enough then people believe it. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, know. I was 27 so I suppose it was quite young. Yeah. Um and I really enjoyed it. Um and uh I won loads of awards with uh, the creative directors. Um and we were going to set up an ad agency, our own ad agency. And about a week before we were due to launch, they got cold feet. Ah. <laughs> and the next thing I knew I was uh, called into the chairman's office, uh, Michael Conroy at the time. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, appallingly egotistical. You know, at the time I thought he's going to offer me a promotion of some sort. Nope. 
That was to be fired. Yeah. Because <laughs> the crit- got wind of it. Yeah. <laughs> got wind of it. Uh, so, yes, that was the firing. And um, I always wanted to start my own thing. Um, so I started an innovation uh, agency, originally called Mutant Marketing. Right. Because it was based on evolutionary psychology. Okay. Um, and then, more sensibly, it became Brand Genetics. And basically, you know, we used to invent stuff for big companies. So claims to fame, Robertson's fruit shoots. Okay. I am to blame for the bad teeth of the, of the children's, you know, the nation's children. Yeah. American Express Black Card was one of mine. Okay. That was a fun project. Yeah. And a few others. But Where, do, where did that come from then? Where was the idea behind that? Oh, well, I came up with loads of ideas for, it was an Amex project. The other one that, they, that I loved and they loved was um, basically getting members to play online roulette with their membership points. Because Amex, MasterCard, they have to put all those points on their balance sheet. Mm. And it would have been a brilliant way to reduce them because the house always wins. Yeah. Um, and it went all the way to the board, but I think they decided they need a gaming license or something. So that one. But the black yeah. card was just one of the ideas. Right. How, like, it, I know it's almost impossible unless you happen to just be really good with Excel. But like, in terms of the number of ideas that you've come up with which, over your career versus the number that are run forward, how many, what would the ratio be, do you think, to ideas that you have to have in order to get one off the ground? Because there's so many reasons why an idea doesn't end up happening, right? I don't know. 100 to 1? At least 50 to 1, if 50 not to 100 to 1. Yeah. It, it depends. It depends who you're working with to come up with the ideas, you know, because yeah. there, there is more quality. But even the best, you know, you just – and I, yeah. have, I have invented <coughs> so many things, even, you know, with System 1, that have gone by the wayside. I mean, some of them were actually, you know, reasonably successful, but, you know, you just – you just pick the ones that seem to fly in the market best. Yeah. You know? well, in my first job in media back in the early 90s, I was working at Reed Regional Newspapers, which is now um, NewsQuest. And I came up with an idea while working on the Sutton Guardian for um, a monthly magazine called The Menu. Um, and what we would, one of our biggest advertising categories was local restaurants, right? So it's in the whole borough, the only way that they could basically advertise is radio or the newspapers, because I'm going back to the early 90s, there was no internet. Um, they certainly couldn't afford TV. Um, and they liked the idea, but they didn't go for it. And I was really frustrated because I thought, I know that they would love this. Um, and so when I started my first business, when I was about 20, I actually launched it myself um, because I was so stubborn slash stupid, as it turned out, because there's quite a lot more money it needed than I had. Um, but um, I just wanted to get it off the ground. And from a consumer point of view, I don't know why I've got onto this subject. I think it's the ideas being by the wayside and then finally but, getting the chance to sort of get them off the ground, right? But, but, that's but consumers loved it. And you know, and we're going to talk about creative distinctiveness and I was no, I'm certainly no creative genius but when this magazine this is an A5 magazine full of menus and reviews for local restaurants I I used to design it in the day sell it in the afternoon and then go and check that it had been delivered in the evening and when I went around I said I'm I'm from a local um a new local uh, food magazine they went oh the menu yeah I've got it do you need to see it and like that they remembered what it was called straight away like I was I took that as a bit of a win but it's- it, you know, I think of myself, I suppose, as a, I don't know, inventor, creative first, and then entrepreneur second. And like you just said, it's like, well, I thought it was a great idea, so I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. Which is pretty much what I feel I've done, yeah. you know, in order to actually sort of make it happen. Yeah. They don't always work, but no. it's, it's uh, you either have that, I don't know, you either have that slight crazy gene, um, perhaps uh, ridiculous optimism as well, 
Yeah. Well, you do. I forget the saying exactly, but it's words to the effect that um, show me a man who's never failed and I'll show you a man who's never tried anything. Or it's words to those effects, right? You have to, failure is another step towards the next success. Well, one, one, of, one of my favorite uh, speeches that I gave, conference speeches, and, and the scariest, by the way, was I had one young entrepreneur of the year, Ernst and Young, you know, and part of us, they asked me to come to uh, Disneyland Paris to speak to a thousand 16-year-olds that were obviously packed in listening to boring business speeches before being released into the park, you know, for good yeah. behavior. So I thought, oh, God, what? what? I, I'm not just going to... Sorry. I decided to do a presentation, which was a love letter to failure. So I asked them at the beginning, how many of you would actually like to have your own business, really? About three quarters of the hands went up. I said, okay. <laughs> Teachers, shut your ears. You've got to learn to love failure because to do anything original, anything sort of, you know, sort of noticeable, you're going to fail and fail and fail. And your job is basically to stay in the game long enough to, yeah. to make it successful. Fail again, fail better, fail yeah. again, fail better. Yeah. 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 Okay. So your career went um, from media to nearly having your own ad agency to yeah. um, to the more creative side of the industry? Well, yeah. I mean, to, to basically um, setting up what was Brain Juicer originally. In fact, it wasn't Brain Juicer. This is, this is part of the thing I shared with the 16-year-olds. I showed them the first version of what is now System 1, and it was called creativetoolbox.com because it was 2000. Everyone yeah. had a .com. Yeah. Terrible name. And uh, got no. And then I showed them how many sales I had in the first year, zero. <laughs> and then, and then it became brain juicer, you know, because whenever you're confronted with a failure, is there a compromise that will make it work, or do you double down? And for me, it's always double down. So you just crank it up, make it more extreme, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's where it became brain juicer. And the first nine months, there were still no sales, but uh, then it took off. Um, so, so that's uh, what, twenty-one months without a sale. Yeah. yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about the resilience required there, um, and 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 how you kept going? Because many people, I'm sure, would have thought, okay, this isn't this isn't working. This isn't going to work. I'm going to do something else. So, how did you? What gave you the belief, or the or the? Is it resilience? I'm not sure that what the word I'm looking for, but something to say, I'm going to carry on into month. 16 and month 17 and month 18 before it sort of started to go well I, I have i have tried to think about it um it's a combination i think of being a contrarian mm. so i kind of don't mind doing the thing that's not normal and perhaps for longer than i should and my <laughs> long-suffering and very patient and actually very lovely first wife sarah i mean she, I think she struggled more than I did because, you know, we were living hand to mouth. I was just doing a bit of consultancy to try and pay the, pay the bills and, and yeah. the software developers. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I love a project. And yeah, maybe there's a, a resilience, um, perseverance and an enjoyment. I think that the other, the other side of it, I mean, it's easy to make it sound all hardship and difficulty. But I bloody loved it too. Yeah. You know, because it was doing something of mine, creating, yeah. playing with it, trying to trying to get people interested. 
So there's an enjoyment side of it. So you're doing something new, right, as well. And so I think sometimes new ideas take a little bit of time before people are willing to put any money behind them. You can have lots of meetings where people nod and go, oh, that sounds great, but like it's new and we don't have a budget for that because it's new. Um, and, 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 and so sometimes you have to have deep pockets and... Um, a will of steel, should we say, to keep going until such a point that it, I mean, I'm five years in business now, and I I was very lucky that I found some long-standing clients early that loved what we do, but I found it incredibly difficult in the early years to scale that to where I wanted it to be as quick as I thought I could do, because it turns out that when you're a client of ours, you really love it, but you don't know what it looks like until yeah, you know, which is I, I know that's the essence of marketing, and it's, it's crazy that I should be complaining about a marketing problem but but, but it's well, new and no one else was doing it no one else knew anyone that was doing it and so you know as rory sutherland says is like two of the behavioral sort of levers of paul is what is everyone else doing and what did i do before and if you haven't done it before and not you can't see everybody else doing it you think well maybe this isn't for me i know well i'm eternally grateful you need that breakthrough client that's the first one and I was lucky, um, a guy called Rod Connors, who was marketing director at Nike in the UK, uh, was doing the... Uh, Not Nike, a bad first one to get. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> Nike 10K. Yeah. And Nike are not big fans of market research. Hang on a minute. So you went 21 months without a client and then got Nike? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I mean, but this stuff is a bit random. You know, you yeah. just go out and you keep trying. Uh, they were doing 10K. They're not really into market research. But Rod loved this playful, you know, thing that I created, the Mind Reader, which basically we used to to get feedback on the uh, Run London, and it's a it's basically a self-structuring. It was based on sort of an ev evolutionary algorithm, a self-structuring, open-ended, qualitative research. You basically, what three things come to mind when you think about having run the 10 k and people can type anything they like, mm. and then their answers become available to the next person who can agree or put in their own answer. Yeah. And it was just delightful. It came out as a mind map with how they feel about it. And it was delightful. It was like, what, you know, what do you, it was, they were, they loved it. They were proud of themselves having run it. And then there weren't enough toilets, you know, because, yeah, because yeah. it can come up with anything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so digging into that a little bit. Um, so I'd like to understand how the model works a little bit more, but, being able to answer based on what somebody else has already put is amazing for prompting your, like, yeah. I don't really know how I feel. Oh, yeah, no, that's that's how I feel. That's great. But there wasn't enough toilets. That's obviously a completely, maybe everyone else before that didn't answer that, therefore nobody else thought about it, thought that as well, right? So like, it's... Um, what, I, what happens is it is it basically, a bit like evolution, it, it, it evolves. You need at least, I don't know, 100 answers. And then it becomes stable. It doesn't change. Yeah. So it can move around quite a lot in in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and it's just a it's just a really smart way. Um, we still use it today. Yeah. In all of you know System One's work, I think we've used it hundred million times or something crazy now. Wow. So so month twenty two, you've got Nike. So you're going out now with a slide deck with a big logo of Nike in the middle. Just do it. So where did it where did it go? Is that, I'm, I'm assuming that was the tipping point. Now now if it's good enough for Nike, it's good enough for us. Yeah yeah. I mean that helped get a lot more and a lot more interest. And then I hooked up with um, Unilever Ventures. It's the venture capital arm of Unilever, mm -hmm. who asked me to come and pitch along with their Unilever people uh, for for funding. And basically, I I ran a mind reader during the day on what everyone at Unilever thought about Unilever Ventures and 
and presented it to them. <laughs> well, I take it it wasn't good news. It was mixed. Uh, it was, mixed, it was mixed. Okay. Um, but I, just to prove to them that this could be done in an hour, two hours. Yeah. Um, so they invested. <clears throat> Took a 30% stake, kind of about I mean, half a million. I mean, it wasn't a huge investment. And it came with all sorts of, and you have to appoint a chief technical officer and a, and a, yeah. like, well, that, there's money, a half million this, gone. This money yeah. is going to literally last four months. Yeah. But I felt that there was momentum. So I sort of yeah. rolled the dice and went with it. Uh, and it took off, you know, from that point. Yeah. Cool. So, so what is the, um, fast forward to 2023. So what's most of the work that you're doing at System One now? Who are you doing it with primarily? What are you doing for them? And why do they want you to do it? We basically work with, you know, I don't know. I think it was 46 of the top 100, you know, marketing co companies. Um, more delightfully, I think it's 35 of the top, the marketeers that Marketing Week said were the most effective marketeers. Mm -hmm. We've only got a 1% brand share. So to work with 35 of them is pretty good. And basically, we, you know, we basically predict which ads are going to be famous and which ones shit, mainly shit. Yeah. And then we try and help, encourage, guide. Yeah. Um, and I mean, creatives at ad agencies hate market research or ad testing with a visceral passion mm. because they've been on the wrong end of uh, very blunt, inaccurate debriefs from, you know, many of our competitors, which I might name at some point. Why not? You know, the usual thing to say is, uh, you know, who won't be named, but and they love us. But yeah. it takes time for them to realize that we're on the side of the creative angels. We're actually yeah. trying to get that emotional work that becomes famous and is effective. So it's not just yeah. the sort of edgy work that might win a can award, but then isn't effective in the market. It's both. We try yeah. to do both. Yeah, we had um, I, I had a, a lovely conversation with Orlando Wood from System One, obviously um, uh, a while ago now, um, and I've read some of his books, and I keep trying to find the time to read the rest of his books. But it seems, um, and, and I'm simplifying two wonderful bits of IPA work here, so uh, apologies, Orlando, for listening. But um, it seems that there's 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 a list of things that tend to appear in effective advertising on the right hand side, and then there's a list of things that maybe don't so much, but the list of things that don't so much are the ones that are being used more. I mean, I've murdered his work there, yeah, and I really apologize. That really, no, that's a really good summary of the, you know, the right brain features. This is Ian McGilchrist. Yeah. It's basically, and it kind of makes sense when you when you almost just say it simply and, and humanly. It's about humanity. Yeah. It's about connection, you know, yeah. like we're talking. Well, at Six Cells, we say it's people-shaped cons. It's not business to business. It's people to people. Yeah. People react to other people. Yeah. And so it's stuff like characters, right? It's accents. It's dialogue. It's story. It's, it's story. you know, it's all the stuff that yeah. humans yeah. do with one another. As yeah. opposed to almost a pop video-like, left, yeah. you know, fast cuts. Product shots. Inanimate yeah. Yeah. objects, you know, which is all kind of very flashy and uh, but it, it doesn't really touch you it doesn't move you yeah you know we need stories and all those things to move us yeah so the story creates the emotion the emotion creates the memory and the memory creates the effectiveness essentially there you go yeah. perfect summary yeah <laughs> Orlando would be proud of you gets a job <laughs> well Orlando yeah. um, joined you know what system one as it is now I mean way back 2005 four um, and uh, actually started out as one of one of my account sort of uh, directors, which he was very good at, but he was also good at innovation. So he and I have worked together, <coughs> excuse me, 
over many years inventing a lot of shit together. Mm. Um, one of the first ones was uh, predictive markets. So I'd read this book about the wisdom of crowds. Yeah. There was only a tiny bit in it about sort of research. So I thought maybe we could actually create an innovation testing prediction based on just asking 500 people, random, mm -hmm. whether they would buy or sell shares in each of these ideas presented. And then take the buy and say, which one would you double your shares in? And take the sell and say, which one would you sell all? Just, and it's not whether you would buy it. Yeah. It was basically so asking people or... to predict what other people would do. Yeah. And it turns out we are better at predicting what other people would do than we are at predicting our own behavior. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that probably, I mean, it sounds nuts, but it actually makes sense if you think about it, because if you're talking to a friend and they're going through some problems. You're, tip, I mean, maybe I don't think it's just me. I think this is generally what the human race is like. We're very good at diagnosing what that problem is and perhaps suggesting what the solutions might be, but we're rubbish at doing it for ourselves. We right? are. We yeah. are. It's that. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's much more difficult. I was just having a chat with um, the previous guest on the way out and he was talking about he does 200 sit-ups a day and he's had to build, build the habit. We were talking about the Atomic Habits book by James Clear and I was interested on how he got started, how many he did and all of the rest of it. And like just that conversation, I thought, well, that's brilliant advice. Now I know that because I've, I've read that book twice you know, and I know that information <laughs> and I know how to get started, but it took a conversation with another human to make me think oh yeah like, like it brings it to the surface and it makes it concrete for you right it does and basically you know as psychologists say if only we could listen to the advice of other people and not discount it yeah you know because there's a tendency you know if, if you want to know what it's like to start a company or get married or divorced mm. or have children ask people who've gone through it yeah but then don't discount what they say because, oh, no, it's all different. It won't me. be, but yeah, yeah. No, it'll be the yeah. same. Yeah, and I, I think I've been guilty of that. I've spoken to a few people that started business um, before I started mine. Um, the hand-to-mouth thing is a fairly common story because you're trying to get it off the ground. You're borrowing off credit cards to pay wages. And like, there's there's a, oh, you know, this has got to work soon it's kind of scenario. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but then you do think, like, I think we overestimate, as humans, we tend to overestimate how good we'll be. And, and you, you know, and, and it's, I don't know, it's just a, an us bias, I suppose. I don't know. Well, I think the other the other thing I've, you know, noticed and, um, and, shared with with uh, my two eldest children eldest ollie's a fashion photographer rachel's a commercial dancer right and it's like look in any creative endeavor you also have to really appreciate luck because luck is part of it yeah and when you get a break just lean into it double yeah. down on it yeah rather than assuming because it's a tendency i think we all you know i have in the past Oh, well, I can just do it again. I, 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 mm. It'll happen again. Not necessarily. So no. it's like appreciating serendipity and, you know, yeah. and, and the role of luck and the role of the people who actually helped you on the way. Yeah. I've never forgotten anyone who's done that. No, you know, and appreciated. No, absolutely. I, I always try and be helpful to people is is a fairly good mantra. And also, and, and it's the the little things. We were talking about sustainability on a on a previous podcast just recently. And if everybody did a little bit, it adds up to a lot. And and think about the the layoffs that are in our industry at the moment. If everybody did just a little bit for someone, then that adds up to a lot. But it does. we don't always, you know, like we don't always find the time to do that, which is which is a bit of a shame. It is. It is. So and that's is keeping. I think keeping your humanity and and I don't know, just 
kindness when you're mm. really up against it. That's the hardest thing. I think that's the difficult thing to explain to people who haven't started something. Yeah. You know, you're in, you can be in a pretty dark place. Yeah. And, you know, it brings out sometimes the worst in you. And it's like, no, just be yourself. Just stay, you know, don't, yeah. don't let that um, affect how you behave. I want to talk to you a little bit in a minute about the, the magic of creativity and the, the juxtaposition between trying to measure that because that's hard, right? Um, but if, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to those 22 months without, 21 months without a client because that's a staggeringly long time to keep believing. And I think there's loads of lessons that lots of people can learn from that. Um, so you said in your note to me last night, you want to talk about um, inventing shit and making it stick. Now, mm. can you maybe from day one through 21 months in in like five minutes sort of talk us through sort of the various stages that you went through? There must have been times surely where you thought, should I just knock this on the head and do something else? There were. Yeah. There definitely were. Um, and actually on the chart that I now tell the story to my staff, I actually put little lightning rods on you know, the moments as, as much as I could remember them yeah you know when it when it felt like that but the reality of you know creating anything is it's generate test fail and learn generate test fail and learn it's, it's basically an evolutionary algorithm mm. you know and so it wasn't as if the product or the service was all there and then I tried to sell that for 21 22 months and it failed mm. It's constant life in beta. Feed, yeah. feedback, yeah. iteration. Okay, let's try this, you know, let's mm. add that. Which, as I said earlier, and it's important, I think, to say it, I really enjoyed as well. I mean, it was, you know, here I am in my cave playing with stuff. I mm. mean, I'm playful. I enjoy that. Yeah. And um, so there was a good side to it as well. But, yeah, you just keep, you know, changing it, building it based on the feedback. And then you have to decide which feedback to take on board and which to ignore, which yeah. is which is very difficult. Yeah, um, and uh, and keep the you know keep the family intact as well. You know, um, we had our well, Ollie, my eldest, he's he was thirty a month ago. How the hell did I get a thirty-year-old? I don't know. I thought you were only thirty-five yourself. Oh, shut yeah, up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he'd only been you know he was born. You know, um, eighteen months. I mean, he was he was around during that time. So, yeah, responsibilities, John. You're yeah. a father now. Yeah, but but also in a way, there's a responsibility to I don't know, do the thing that you feel you should be doing rather than, you know, take the king's shilling, so to speak. Yeah, you know, I remember one point Sarah said, John, honestly, you could do anything. Why don't you go into the city? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm not doing this. No. I mean, I now have to go into the city as, you know, for see my investors, you know, because we're yeah. a public company. And actually, it's all right, but I wouldn't want to be Do it every of, day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm in admiration and, and awe of, of the, um, I think, I'm thinking of my own situation. Had it been that long without a client, I almost certainly would have had to do something else. Like finances would have dictated that. But I don't know. I believe so much in what we do, but I don't know if I could have believed without the feedback loop of a client for 21 months. And it's, um, I, I just, it makes me wonder just how many businesses fail because they stop too early because they think, oh, I'm not getting the, I was lucky, right? So at the beginning of my journey five years ago, I got a client fairly, fairly quickly and then another one and they liked working with us and they found value in it. And so, so I had that to, 
sort of believe in and, and move forward with. And it's only it's only really now that we're starting to get proper traction where I'm getting regular inquiries and um, people are introducing me to other people and stuff like that. But it took that long. And it and to, to our point uh, earlier on, I, did, I didn't think it would take that long. I thought, well, I've been 30 years in the industry. I know what I'm doing. I know a lot of people. This will be fine. <laughs> but it doesn't work that it's way. It's so true. We, we always, well, come on, it can't take that long. But you no. know that classic, you know, it takes seven years to be an overnight success. It's about right, actually. Yeah. And I love the origin stories. And I try and go back, you know, when these sort of startup products or brands have become successful. Yeah. There's always a bigger backstory than has been simplified. Yeah. And and I think it's it's part of it. I mean, for me, I did a bit of consultancy on the side, I suppose, you know, um, for people I knew. So that that kept the wolf from the door. Sure. Just. Yeah. But, uh, well done. Well, it's, you've obviously been um, uh, proven right. Um, sheer bloody mindedness got you there. And, uh, and I think it is yeah. true that a lot of people give up just when they're actually just on the brink. Yeah. Um, but there's a brilliant book I remember reading. I think Seth Godin, The Dip. It's yeah. a really short book. Right. And it's on this topic. It's basically how you can try and tell whether you basically you're in a dead end. It's going nowhere or whether you just need to hang on for a bit longer because it actually has potential to, yeah. to, to pop. Um, does he have any answers or is it more he does, questions? No, he, he does, does. yeah. It's good advice, actually. And it's I very might read short, that. But yeah. It's a very good book. Yeah. So well, short is good. There's a lot of fluff in a lot of books, I think. I think a lot of books could be shorter. Yeah. Well, um, most of them are an article, or at yeah. least in our industry, and, you know, an article that's been padded out to yeah. be a book, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, so going back to um, what System One do today, there are certain people in the creative industry that will say you can't measure creativity because it's kind of part magic mm. um and obviously those that don't and 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 considering what you do um for a living obviously you you think that it can be measured and, and it can be um understood but why is it then do you think that i mean orlando's work seems to be pretty con conclusive over a like tw is it 15 years if i remember rightly 15 years of tv advertising yep. dissecting them learning what was effective, what people thought of them, and then putting that together into almost like a framework which should sell for a lot more, I would say, you know, because of the amount of work that's gone into it. Why is it that we seem to be so against doing the things that seem to work? Well, first off, what we're really measuring is the emotional response to creativity. Yeah. Rather than directly trying to measure creativity. But then over the years, just from seeing which ones actually become famous and they are brilliantly emotional, what are the frames? What, what, are the, what are the sort of rules that seem to be part of the best ads that create such an emotional, terrific emotional response and succeed? <clears throat> and that was my insight way back in, you know, 2005, six, when we created, Lando and I created the first commercial way to measure emotions because that was i said we've got to be able to measure emotion yeah so we picked on something i've been reading uh, paul ekman and there are so seven universal emotions <coughs> which are felt and recognized the same the world over so a tribe in papua new guinea will recognize you know the same emotion in a caucasian face and vice versa and that's where we created uh, Face Trace. This was the daughter of a designer I'd worked with, <laughs> brilliant, who had to pose because we wanted someone who was slightly androgynous, so it wasn't sort of obviously male or female. And it took, I think, 
16 photo shoots and thousands of photographs because we had to get her to pull the face of happiness. That was easy. And then anger, contempt, except, you know, and, and surprise was the hardest one because mm. <laughs> you, you know, <coughs> to get it right. And face trace is basically what we've used and, and have now, you know, commercialized over all these years to actually, that's how we predict which ads are going to be famous. Mm. The more people feel, the more they buy. And yeah. by the way, the more they vote, the more they do, the more they give, you know, yeah. it's all, it's all emotion. Um, yeah. So, but why don't, why don't, do you um, link your predictions to results at the, on the back end? So you do. just say, okay, we, we predicted yep. this to these advertising, th these advertising campaigns, and then on brand studies on the back end, they correlate and, yeah. and they yeah. correlate closely. So we we can't continue to do huge amounts of validations, you know, with you know, with our customers and clients. Um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Mm. So to give you a, a you know, just just to get geeky for a moment, uh, I love when when the, when the kids were young, you know, he said, "Dad, are you an entrepreneur?" <laughs> They just, they'd misheard it. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah. So <laughs> in terms of predictiveness, in correlation, one is perfect. Yep. And our predictions are on average 0.76, which in you know statistical circles is about as predictive as you get for anything. Yeah. And our competitors are about 0.28. Right. Not, you know... Fairly, you know, some prediction, but not not very. Okay. But why don't agencies and clients do more of the things that we've been, yeah. been encouraging? Because business is over-rational. People, you know, think that we're spending large amounts of money. Surely we have to bash people over the head with why our product is so much better than mm. other, other products and basically end up boring, you know, the audience. Uh, yeah. In, trying to bore them into submission and it doesn't work there's also the um the element as well isn't there which i mean the stat i'm going to use now is a b2b stat but there, there must be some a similar stat for b2c as well um, uh, the Ehrenberg bass institute um, looked across multiple b2b industries and found that 95 percent people on any given week aren't in market for what you sell so if you're talking features and benefits and facts to somebody that's not in market for what you they're not interested they, yeah. they're not interested in what you sell so um, if you think of a B2C brand now, like Specsavers, I always use the same example because I just think they're wonderful. Um, and I'd love to know if they're particularly effective. You might not be able to details. Yeah. They're a customer. Oh, are they? Okay. So there's this wonderful ad on TV at the moment where um, the delivery driver turns up at the bottom of a 10 floor um, block of flats and the lift's broken. And so most of the ad is I would walk 500 miles by. Is it the proclaimers? Well, the he's proclaimers, trying to get, yeah, classic he's track. trying to get up the stairs with this massive box. This little old lady goes, oh, it looks heavy. And he's like, yeah. Like, like, and he finally gets there and she opens the door. He goes, this is block two, mate. You want over there. And he's, he's in the wrong block. And that's... I haven't seen that one yet. It's brilliant. That's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, and Specsavers comes in right at the very end. Um, but it, you don't need to be interested in or in the market for glasses to find that amusing, to feel an emotional response, which is humor, funny. Oh, but firstly, struggle. Like they, if you think of the hero's journey, the struggle, he's trying to get up the stairs and he's got obstacles in his way and groups of teenagers getting in the way and stuff like that. And then he, um, then he obviously finally gloriously fails, but in a, in a humorous way. It, and so you remember it. You do. It's brilliant. I love that. And Specsaver adds a been almost consistently five star you know we do it on a sort of one to yeah. five star and they've built it and they've consistency is the other you know one of the other things fluency it's yeah. like the coca-cola christmas trucks ad 
Which, by the way, I the holidays test- are coming. Holidays yeah. are coming. By the way, I tested back in I don't know, 2011 out yeah. of interest, and it was actually three star. Right. And then with, I don't know. I got. I tested it every year just out of interest because it kept coming back. Yeah. And it improved in star rating. Same app. Every year, because yeah. until it became basically part of Christmas, it, it almost signals the beginning of Christmas. It's yeah. become part of the culture. And As then, you were saying that, I was thinking, oh, I haven't seen that on telly yet. I wonder when I'm first going to see it. Yeah, Maybe no, the first it's, of December. It's on, yeah. you know, and it now consistently is, you know, one of the best Christmas ads. And and the story behind it, because I said I love origin stories, because I know we've done work with Coca Cola, and uh, it wasn't planned. They basically had another ad that they developed, which got re- rejected and whatever, the Coca-Cola UK board refused to let it air. Mm. So it was like they cast around and they just found one that had run before. That was the reason it went okay. on there the first time. So, I can't remember who I was reading. It was. Um, it may have been Mark Ritson or someone like that that was talking about when a new CMO goes into a business, they feel they've got to change things. Yeah. And then when they've been there for a little while, they feel they've got to change things because they've seen this creative hundreds, if not thousands of times, and they forget that the audience haven't (laughs) they may may have seen it one or two times and so it's not worn out at all the creative is still very much relevant to the audience even though you're bored sick of it because you've seen it on loop in your offices Orlando may have already said this I don't want to repeat but wear out is a glorious creative industry myth right not completely like all things but great ads five-star ads bear repeating I mean literally people love to see them yeah you can air them as much as you like bring them back we got Hovis. You know the boy on the bike, the old... Yeah. We got the, Hovis to bring that ad back. They remastered it. Yeah. <clears throat> because it's great. However, one and two star ads are just boring. So, frankly, yeah. I suppose it, they do wear It's out. not that it's wearing out. It's never wore in. It's never wore in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I was thinking while cleaning my teeth this morning, because I, I knew we were going to have this conversation, I was... There's a there's you know ad skip and 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 ad blocking online is a thing um, with um, Sky and the like. Now you can forward through the ads if you record it and stuff like that. I wonder what would happen if you got five five star ads in a row and everyone was making funny, interesting, excellent adverts. Would they actually become a feature rather than a nuisance? Where you'd actually think I'm actually quite looking forward to the ads because there's usually a bit of a giggle. Well said. And and would it somehow negate you know? their impact no it was like the beer advertising classic sort of eras of you know yeah. funny brilliant sort of beer commercials from sort of 90s castlemaine forex do you remember that one what think, happens think we overdid it on the sherry exactly <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was another harp stay sharp to the bottom of the glass where someone bounced a ball you know it was coming to visit yeah, I think, you know, his date. And he bounced this ball for the dog. The dog jumps out the window. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I remember that one as well, yeah. But what happens when it's like that is, as you said, people start to look forward. It becomes entertaining. Mm-hmm. The, the, probably the best, I'm banging the table. You told me not to do it. That's Sorry. okay. Once or twice, it's fine. <laughs> Emotional effect. We'll call that an exclamation mark. <laughs> okay. um, the Super Bowl yeah. is, a, is a terrific example of that. The advert. The cinema. Imagine if you and had five, five, five-star ads before a film. You think, oh, right, I'm going to get in early. It becomes yeah. part of the entertainment. Yeah. 
and those you yeah. know those two examples and and i think the spec savers ads and things like paddy power often yeah. deliver that it's actually i mean there's, there's paddy power puts two or three minute videos together which yeah. you think that's too long for an ad yeah. but it's not because they've got yeah. funny situations yeah. and it's, it's it's a skit it's like well, a piece of entertainment customer too so there you go. You, i hope perhaps there's a theme emerging you know if yes. you could think of yeah. great ads um, yeah. you know currently they tend to be customers like ld you know, Kevin the Carrot, you know, which uh, we... Have them. they brought that back this year? Because that they came have. out last year, they didn't have. they? And, with, with and the, it was the most effective, I believe. It, it was, was voted yeah. the most effective Christmas ad. Yeah. And again, it had characters. It had a narrative. It yeah. had a story that we understood, but had been yeah. changed to food. It was, you know, it had all of the elements that Orlando talks about. And we worked um, testing uh, the John Lewis ads when they first started, you know, their favorite. I mean, basically, they created the whole Christmas advertising thing. It's become a UK yeah. phenomenon. Um, have you tested this year's John Lewis ad? Yeah, we have. Yeah, 3.7, I think. Okay. Yeah, it's not pretty good. good. Yeah. It's, by the way, that's not average. That's that's still... Yeah, that's still very, high. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just felt it needed a... It could have done with a peak end. Mm. So something uplifting, something that, you know, so the, the Venus flytrap somehow needed to be brought back into the house. I mean, it was the yeah. pet. Come on, come Cold on. out there. It's got snow on his leaves. <laughs> I know, it, yeah, like, yeah. No, it just needed a sort of... Final touch of human warmth. I don't know. I mean, Maybe putting ignore, putting his, putting his I don't know what they have like putting his stems up in front of the fire or something, warming his stems <laughs> exactly. on the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, John, I could speak to you for hours. Um, it's been so interesting. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, no, uh, right. Thanks. I've, I've it, loved it. Enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed my beer while, while you know while we've been chatting. I know it's a bit see contrary and mischievous. And yeah, absolutely. Usually in trouble. You are, as far as I know, the first guest to have a beer um, and <laughs> to have a beer in front of me when I'm not having one. I did offer. Uh, I, you did offer. No, I'm not. I'm not putting this on you. But um, it's amazing that I didn't say yes. I will have one because uh, I like a beer. Um, John, thank you so much really for being on the Six Sauce Podcast. Thanks so much.